0: Hey today on pro Mindset, we have coach warren mccarty coach
1: how you doing tonight? Wonderful I'm glad to be on with you. I'm excited about this.
0: Hey coach. It's really tough to try to introduce you to the podcast tonight to our audience because you're like you've got you got more you wear more hats wear more have more jobs and have more nicknames than anybody I know yeah, so you are the warrior uh warrior q b quarterback coach mhm you coach seven on seven. You represent coaches. You represent high school kids on their opportunity and uh, a scholarship search to get a free education, to play football in college. Yep. Um, you do a lot of things. You're a dad. Um, you right now have two high school sons that play football. Um, so your daddy, your baller, your coach, you got your trainer for quarterbacks. Did I leave anything out? Your husband. Agent still
1: for some, some college and NFL coaches, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I want to thank you for being on and we're going to have some fun talking about ball tonight. Um, I want to start out by just kind of asking you, um, we've known each other for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, you've trained my son Brock, um, through mm-hmm. quarterback training. You coached a lot of young men through that aspect, as well as your coaching coaching a travel seven on seven, uh, all-star team here in the state of Colorado. But what is what do you see as a, the changes that are going on in the sport of football, particularly like going from high school to college, since that's kind of your sweet spot? What are some of the biggest changes you've seen here in the last few years?
1: Um, that's a great question, and, and there's layers to it. I think I would just begin by saying the thing that you and I have talked about so much. That at the Division One level, it's not college football anymore. It's pro football, in in every sense. Which you know, I'm, I'm 46. I think I, I there's part of me that's very nostalgic about what college football used to be, and what it meant to young men to get to go play in college it, at any level. But for right now, let's talk D1, and. We have to let that mindset go, okay? Well, you talk obviously a lot about pro mindset. Well, there there's this mindset that this is college football, and it is not not at the D1 level anymore. It just, it just simply isn't. You have money involved. You have some free agency involved. You have a lot of people looking out for number one rather than putting team first. Um, I hear a lot less talk from coaches about character development, mentoring, helping boys become men. I hear a lot less use of the word family, and I hear more about words like opportunity and uh, winning. And to me, that's now we're veering into the world you've flourished in for so long, pro football, because those are the words NFL GMs and personnel directors and head coaches use, opportunity and winning. Versus growing up and the nurturing of, of dudes. And just factor in the money and the fact that guys have the freedom, frankly, that coaches have had forever. You and I both represent coaches and work side by side on so many things. These guys as players now have some of the freedom that coaches have always had. And it rubs coaches the wrong way, many of them. And it just, there's so many different dynamics. So I would begin there that D1 football is not college football anymore. It's pro football. Um, I think secondly, the, again, maybe I'm sounding like the, the middle-aged old guy here, but the pressures of social media and 24-7 media coverage of college football is a little bit different than it was five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, my gosh. Damn near every D1 football game is televised, like all of them in some way, shape, or form. The media exposure, the social media exposure for players the and the pressures that go along with that, obviously your sons have, have lived it, that's different than it was even just a handful of years ago. So I think, in, in my mind, to answer your question, those are the two things that really stick out to me is... This is pro football now, and just there are pressures on these young dudes. It just didn't exist a few years ago. And some so of it might you, sound silly, but those are legit pressures, right? Now, I 100% agree with
0: your perspective on that. How do you coach a young man today compared to seven, eight years ago when, when perhaps, let's just go 10 years ago, you knew you had an opportunity. You really had like five years to play four. Yep. And there was no such thing as a transfer portal. There was no name, image and likeness cash. They, everybody wants to get some. It's a money grab for everybody. And everybody hears these stories about other people making the money. So they want to get theirs. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that aren't making money that people think are making money. But how do you coach a young man who perhaps is going off to college this, this, this next fall? Um, to prepare for that pressure, that just the changed environment, so that he can be successful because if he doesn't show from the jump that he's got the potential to be QB1, they're going to be recruiting from the portal really heavily to replace him.
1: Yep. I think um, a great question, by the way. I think as I reflect on on your question, I would say – Maybe eight to 10 years ago, I spent a lot more time talking about X's and O's preparation and just toughness and leadership skills, things of that nature. I still talk about those things, but I'm certainly spending a lot more time talking about researching the OC, his offense, what he does, our footwork, staying in the weight room, being physically as ready to go as possible to be super aggressive and going after taking reps and trying to set up one-on-one meetings with their position coach. I guess maybe in a broader sense, being way more proactive in the, the getting the stuff done now that maybe you had a year to ease into a sense of urgency is there that I wasn't coaching eight to 10 years ago. For sure. It's much more about, to your point, you kind of like be rock star from day one or they're about to go find the next guy that they think will be a rock star from day one. Even if being a rock star from day one means you're trying to be the number two or the number three, it's you have to like establish and solidify your spot from the jump. There's no easing into it. So I think I'm definitely coaching my guys to have more of a sense of urgency and to be super proactive and trying to define their their status and establish a relationship with their position coach and their and their coordinator
0: it used to be when they went to college they showed up as a boy and they got the opportunity to develop into a man grow their leadership their maturity their work ethic everything related to becoming a leader of an organization and being the face of a of a of a program today if you don't show that from the jump they will be looking for your replacement. And so I don't think there's that growth opportunity for, for young men to, to take a detour, to take a misstep. Um, You got to show up being ready to be QB one. Even if you're even if you go to uh, college early and you're only Mm -hmm. 17, if you're not ready, you shouldn't go.
1: Is that fair? Uh, Absolutely. It's fair. It's absolutely fair. But to your point about the leadership and maturity and, and all those qualities, I also feel like it's right down the line of where you're tracking to, it's not being taught either. Like the feedback my guys at the division one level are giving me, the, the young guys that are, you know, freshmen, red shirt freshmen, there is none of that. It is all just scheme and perform. Execute the offense. Execute the offense perform there's not much nurturing there's not much mentoring going on now it just again back to that whole pro football thing it seems very much like they want the ready finished product from the jump rather than developing
0: well look at deon sanders over in boulder at great CU. example yeah turnover of 60 plus scholarship guys mm-hmm. in less than five months yes sir there's no – he. there's probably at least 10 or 15 of those players, maybe more, that are going to end up being contributors at the D1 level. I have two of them. That didn't get the opportunity. Yep.
1: yep. Right? Yep. I'll give you okay, a so, great example. Just give you a great example. Jack Hestera. They brushed him aside very early in the process. So he hit the portal. Just go research that kid. That is all the Charlotte media has talked about with respect to Charlotte 49ers football is that kid's performance all spring. He's going to be their number one go-to alpha receiver, but he was quickly kicked to the curb by Deion Sanders and those guys. So, yeah, and I don't think he's going to be the only one that's going to go contribute elsewhere at the D1 level.
0: Well, that young man may go to um, Charlotte and kick butt and be somewhere else in a year. Yeah. Because he may North Carolina, Duke, somebody else may come after him because he's in that world now and everybody's looking for the, the finished guy. Yep. Totally. Okay, so let's talk about um the title of the podcast, Pro Mindset. And you and I've talked at length at various times about different aspects of mindset. And I truly believe that the difference between the QB one guys that end up being the 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 program leaders and the ones that don't is their mindset. It, a lot of these guys have similar arm talent. They mm-hmm. can read defenses. They can make all the throws. Um, they have similar athleticism. So it really is the mindset. How do you see, like you've got a son who yep. is going to, is being looked at by colleges today and he's just playing high school football. What do you tell blitz? How do you coach him up so that he can develop his mindset and be prepared for college in a few years?
1: So, um, you know, Blitz is going into his sophomore year. He got varsity playing time as a freshman last year and, and did very well and has had tremendous physical growth since last November. So now he visually looks the part to all these D1 coaches who are coming in to work him out here in this eval period. But the things he and I are talking about a lot is continuing to show his teammates that he is the hardest worker on the roster, the weight room, the sprints, the yoga days, all those things, that he is visually an example to them that he is like he won't be outworked physically. Um, we he, he sets up a weekly um, Zoom call with his offensive coordinator to go over run game calls and you know philosophical things in terms of how they want read progressions done. So he's doing his work in terms of X's and O's. But really that mindset is that his words, although they are important, um, right now, being the young guy who's going to have to lead older dudes, the priority for him is to visually show them through his actions that they can count on him to lead them. Like, oh, Blitz has put on... 33 pounds since November. I see that he's bigger and taller and stronger and his little schmedium shirts bit tighter and that they see that he's doing extra sprints or when they're, he's winning gassers, like he's winning the gassers that shows those guys, although Blitz isn't certainly isn't the fastest guy on his roster. When he's winning those sprints, he's showing the guys that he's putting in the work. So right now it's like phase one of earning trust is through his actions and then I feel like his voice will be more heard because they've seen him do the work physically. So like that, we feel like we're kind of phase one of that mindset. Phase two will be how he articulates his thoughts. And and your sons, Brock and Jojo, uh, and I know they worked with you and Teddy extensively on how to articulate thoughts, how to motivate. You know, they've grown up in in, in your pro mindset. And those are things I'm working on with Blitz about how we speak to guys, how we speak to guys who are older than us, how we speak to our peers and how we can use our words to be most effective and uplifting, even when we have to be an ass, but uplifting in a way that still earns trust. Even if it's chewing out a teammate that it's done from a place of love and done from a place of we're trying to build something, this brotherhood together to win football games. Right. Um, but I've, I've always admired Brock and JoJo's ability to articulate their thoughts in a way that motivates. That's not easily done. And for Blitz, so that's like phase two that, that we're kind of easing into right now is how to effectively verbally lead.
0: You've worked with a lot of quarterbacks that have gone from gone on to play college football. What's mm-hmm. the thing that most of them get surprised by? What's the thing that if you look back at the people that didn't do as well as they could have done, what, you know, is it they party too much? Is it they didn't have the arm talent? The coach overestimated their ability or was it, you know, competition? Was it unfairness? Was it scheme fit? What, what are the, some of the things that trip guys up that they don't think is going to, they don't think it's going to be an obstacle, but it smacks them right in the face.
1: I think two things. I would I would really say two things. One is that there is indeed politics at the Division I level. I think a lot of high school coaches kind of convey these thoughts to their players that, you know, this isn't daddy ball anymore, or there's not, you know, booster club president doesn't have a say in who gets to play. And hell yeah, there's politics involved. Maybe it's different politics, but you know, so and so is a two-star recruit. And Johnny over here is a four-star recruit. Four-star recruit's going to get every opportunity to sink or swim more so than the the lesser recruit or the walk-on or the the guy who they signed at the last minute. So I think number one is things that have contributed to dudes not having success or being shocked and surprised is that hell yeah, there's politics in college football. It's it's not just a the best, the best 11 play. Hell no. That is not true. It's absolutely not true. And then secondly, I think the distractions that come with college football. Parties. Sex. Um, the fun things and the perks of, hey, I'm on this roster, I'm on this team. As fun as they are, they can bite you in the ass. So I think that's the two things, is that politics are for sure involved. And that there are distractions. And those distractions, if you let them distract you, can literally seal your fate. Well, the two
0: antidotes for that and pro-mindset for the politics is to understand that there's always, life's not fair. Football's not fair. Playing time's not fair. All coaches preach that they have a meritocracy on their team. And the best guy's going to play, but that's not how it works right they've got pressures with recruiting they're they're recruiting a kid at the same high school, and they don't want to piss off the guy on the roster so they've got to keep him happy so that he gets the kid that's even better than him to come to their school yep. right and so I think from a a standpoint is the understanding there you should not expect it to be fair is important, and that the coach may not want you to win the job. Doesn't mean you can't. It just means it's going to be a little bit tougher. Yeah. And the second one about distractions is, I see this all the time in the NFL. Everybody's dream is not to be in the Hall of Fame. Everybody's dream in the NFL is to get drafted. Yeah. But after the draft's over, which you know was over a week and a half or two ago, mm-hmm. teams don't care about the draft anymore. Right. it's can you play can you find a role on this team can you be a contributor that's going to help us win because if you can you can be on the team if not we're going to find somebody else that can yep. and so the 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 fallacy in that is getting the scholar the player that just wants the scholarship once he gets on campus he's going to be distracted by everything everything Things he didn't even know were there are going to distract him. So I think the goal's got to be, you know what? You want to go down as the all-time leading passer in your school. You want to win more games. You want to be a conference champion. You want to win the Heisman. Because if you have bigger dreams and you keep increasing your dreams, the
1: distractions don't have a chance. Think about all the, first of all, you're 100% correct. Because you've seen it play out, as have I. You know, if we go, you start, I mean, goodness, the GOAT quarterback, Tom Brady. Sixth round pick that, you know, kind of really only started one year and had to split time and dealt with a bunch of BS at Michigan. Becomes the GOAT. Uh, The greatest receiver in pro football history was a 1AA guy that struggled his first year. Dropping balls. People forget that about Jerry Rice. He damn near didn't make it with the Niners. He dropped so many balls his rookie season. And was everybody talks about he was a four six guy. But the goal for him wasn't just, oh, I've made it. I'm going to chill. He had, was wired differently. It was to prove everybody wrong and to be the greatest ever, to be a Hall of Famer, to your point, setting those goals high. Same with Tom Brady. Um, I just think you go right down the list of who are the greatest of all time and then some of our current greats. They just, getting there wasn't the goal. Being elite has been the goal, and therefore that eliminates the distractions, eliminates the, oh, I'm getting screwed here, this isn't fair, the politics of it. They just keep working to where they just outplay everybody to the point where you can't—the politics have to fall to the wayside because it's so obvious they have to play this guy, right? Um Because if you think about it, absolutely Tom Brady could have got politicked. You're just this—the dad bod, sixth-round pick who kind of was just okay at Michigan. He easily could—they could have drafted over him in a year or two. He didn't let it happen. Same with Jerry Rice. Oh, hell, it's— One double A, historically black college, dropping balls left and right. They could have said, oh, we drafted him too high, he's bust. Yeah, I can't remember if Jerry, I think he went in second or third round or something like that. But they could have overdrafted him, right? Drafted over him. Those two dudes didn't let it happen because they just were wired differently. And their mindset, and we keep coming back to that, was getting there wasn't the goal. It was getting there and just dominating became the goal. So, yeah, be all conference, win the Heisman Trophy, you know, go play at the next level. Like those level setting upwards eliminates those two big problems with distractions and with politics, in my mind.
0: Okay, you you mentioned this two times in that response about being wired differently. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt people that, uh, that are high achievers are wired differently. How How can you help your kids and how can you help your players that you coach? Understand what that means and apply it to their game and their life so that they can achieve more, do more, be more because they're wired differently. What is it? How, how do you describe being wired differently?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, when I think about my guys who've achieved greatness and do, your son Brock being one of them, because I feel like he, he's achieved greatness, especially with what he accomplished last year. There's a lot left more on the table for him. But guys like Brock and uh, some other guys who've, who've achieved at a high level and, and really dominated, I think what I tried to instill in them in early age was, of course, I'm, I'm kind of geared more towards the quarterback realm, It is a lifestyle choice, and therefore it makes you different, and you have to embrace being different and embrace the idea of not going to that party on Friday night because you're going to stay home and take care of your body because you had four hard workouts that week, or not hanging out with these dummies that are doing stuff that you know can go bad in a hurry, and instead... Hopping online and watching some film, and hanging out with your girlfriend at the house—those little things start to stack. Jojo talks a lot about stacking, and so I think uh, one of the, that's one of the things I talk to those guys about is making that it's a, embracing a different lifestyle. To be elite means sacrificing some areas of your life that sure seem fun, sexy, and cool but don't align with the mindset you have to have to achieve greatness and that there is a sacrifice and a different mindset and different uh, lifestyle that you have to choose. And, in, and to convince them that it's cool to choose that lifestyle, I point to the greats because I feel like almost every, and I'm talking quarterback specifically here, but I'm sure it applies to other positions. I feel like the greatest quarterbacks have had to overcome some stuff in their life, be it personal and or on the field, to achieve greatness. I just haven't seen too many guys who've had the smooth path. Okay? And, like, I don't under, I don't personally know Patrick Mahomes all of his personal life. Right? right. Um, but for the most part, I think dang near every dude who I've seen achieve greatness, including some guys that are playing right now, all have some shit that they had to overcome. Some slight against them, a bad home life, personal tragedy, something that they had to choose to be different and choose a different lifestyle, which to me then leads to the stacking of the weight room, the film room, the working on the mechanics and just doing all these things that stack up to achieving great results on the field. I just feel like it's, it begins with the lifestyle choice and I work hard on convincing them that that makes sense. That's okay to be different, and it's okay to live a different path.
0: Well, when you look at NFL quarterbacks, we can start with the highest-paid guy in the league and Lamar Jackson, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, me included. I didn't think he was going to be an NFL quarterback. I thought he was a phenomenal athlete, won the Heisman, um, phenomenal runner, maybe the best, best, most talented player in the field in every game he plays because he's so freaky athletic, and yet he proved everybody wrong. And the second highest paid guy in the league is Jalen Hurts, and he wasn't good enough to finish his career at Alabama, yeah. So he had to transfer to Oklahoma. And Joe Burrow's not too bad either, and he had to transfer from Ohio State to yeah. you know to do what he did and win a national championship at LSU. And you know Josh Allen had you know no D one offers coming out of high school. One
1: shot after JUCO. That was after JUCO. One shot. Yeah,
0: yeah, after JUCO. And
1: we could go on and on and
0: on. I mean, Aaron Rodgers fell in the draft. You know, it's like all Russell he was Wilson a JUCO.
1: Had, he was a JUCO guy. Same thing. He was a JUCO guy. He was a JUCO mm-hmm.
0: guy too. Yep. Russell Wilson had you know he was messing around with baseball at NC State, but he had to transfer to Wisconsin to really make his mark in college football. So it's yep. like every single one of those was not the golden child. They were not the five star that you know. Stayed at the same school, was three and out, won a Heisman, and went to the NFL. Was the number one pick,
1: right? Right. Yep. They've all had to overcome some giant obstacle.
0: All right. Let's shift gears. Let's take a. You know, you got lots of different perspectives. You wear lots of hats. Let's uh-huh. let's kind of dive into being a dad. Okay. okay? <laughs> you've been in you've been in pro football or college football for your whole life. Yeah. In lots of different roles. You know, you were in the Arena League as a GM. You played, I mean, you played quarterback. I mean, you, there's so much history. We don't have enough time to go through everything you've done. But suffice it to say, you're like the consummate football dude. Okay. Thank you. you, you know more, you've forgotten more than a lot of people know. Yeah. So when you're sitting there talking to parents about their, their something, who has these dreams, and the parents have dreams for their son too. Where do you see the breakdown by parents, and what have what have been your own temptations where you could sabotage your own kids um, because you're a dad, and dads think certain ways, and sometimes dad dads get
1: in the way. I think that word fairness is fairness in and of itself can be really gray if that makes sense and I think that's where parents and I've and I've had to pump the brakes on myself a few times as well when you feel because we we view our kids through these lenses of love right we don't all have clear spectacles on when we view our kids and so when we view our, our kids through those lenses of love, and we perceive something that's not fair or we think is bullshit or whatever, that's where things can get sideways because then parents are talking and talking bad about a coach or bad about a situation or bad about a teammate or this thing that happened. And, man, our kids, and I'm speaking as a dad here, our kids are literally every day learning how to be from us. They're learning how to be in this world, how to exist in this world, and we're their adult example. And so even when they're like we feel like they ignore us and roll their eyes and scoff at us and all the things that, that kids do and teenagers do, they are absorbing and they do um our, our opinions get ingrained in them one way or another. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing I see with parents is through those lenses of love, they get sometimes heated and sideways about things that they perceive unfair or as a slight to their child. And that can cause a big problem because the kids will feed off of that energy. If the energy is the opposite, hey, like you said earlier in, in, the, in the podcast here, life's not fair. And football isn't always fair. And the game doesn't always love you back. That's why I try to at least educate parents on is there's going to be some stuff here that isn't always smooth. And you've got to be able to deal with it through the the concept and the mindset of not everything in life is fair and this is an adversity and this is a test and we've got to, we've got to surpass it we've got to pass it surpass it get through it through um logic and doing things the right way and you know i could go on and on about that but i think that's the biggest thing is that i see is parents get hung up on what's fair and what's not and things can snowball real bad out of control if it's not if that mindset doesn't shift as okay this might suck and we don't agree with this but We've got to deal with it and get over it and overcome it. That's two different mindsets versus bitching and complaining and throwing a fit and we're going to transfer schools and all those types of things. So that's the big hang-up I see from parents is you love your kid, you view some slight or unfairness to your child, and it pisses you off, and then that can cause a big problem.
0: Well, there's two things, Coach, that I see with parents where they sabotage their kids. One is that the dream is really theirs and not their kids.
1: Oh, the living vicariously through the kids thing is extreme, especially in this day and age.
0: you have got to allow the the kids, I don't care if it's a volleyball girl, I don't care if it's a soccer kid, it's got to be their dream. And to play, you know, let's go back to football. If you're going to play college football, we already talked about the fact it's professional football, it's a real job. And it's a lot harder than you think it's going to be. And mommy and daddy are not going to come to the locker room. They're not going to be at the stadium. They're not going to do the the sprints. They're not going to lift the weights. They're not going to do all those things. So it's got to be the kid's dream. Yeah. Okay. And then the second thing I see is that when things don't go well, it's okay for your kid to sit in that muck. It's okay for yeah. your kid to figure it out. instead of. You know, maybe throwing your weight around because you're a big booster in the program and you your buddies with the head coach and all the things that go on and, you know, go behind the scenes and try to make some be persuasive with the coach to make things better for your kid. Because in life, I I, we have to figure it out. Yeah. And the sooner our kids figure it out in sports, football is to me the most amazing sport for you know, symbolizing and reflecting the real world.
1: 100% agree with that. It's it's this uh, metaphor, you know, and it's this valuable tool and mechanism that can be used to help shape the rest of your life for whenever football ends, dealing with all these adversities. I mean, both of your sons, for various reasons, through injuries and politics and stuff, they... You, you and Teddy allowed them to both live in the muck. Like, that's, that's something I was able to, as a dad, witness and has taught me some lessons in terms of dealing with my own boys and their football journey. Living in the muck is a good thing. It's damn painful during the time, especially as a parent. Because also, you want to, you know, I think all good parents have this mindset of we want to provide a life that's better for the kids than we had when we were kids and provide the kids the things that we didn't get that we needed when we were kids, right? so you want to wrap your arms around them and love them and shield them from pain. But that pain is sometimes necessary. That's hard to swallow as parents sometimes, right? To allow it to happen, allow them to live in the muck, you know? I have to check myself sometimes, too. I mean, it's it's like an ongoing process of, you know, not being too hard on the boys, but being hard on the boys and letting them have some failure and loving them up when they succeed and just all those gray areas of figuring out, you know, when to keep my mouth shut and let them be.
0: Well, one of the most important things a parent can do, especially when their kids hit, mid-teens and it's different for each kid um, is go from becoming a being a teacher coach to a consultant and when you make that transition to being a consultant they come to you and say hey i got this issue and instead of telling them the answer because you already know the answer most of the time you go hey what have you done what have you thought about what have you tried what's worked what hasn't worked what are your buddies telling you you know all those types of things to let them figure it out. And then if they go, I can't figure it out, you can say, hey, you know what? This this might work. You don't tell them it's going to work, even though you know it's going to work. Yep. You say it might work. And let them latch onto it, because at the end of the day, parenting adult children is all about being a consultant. And the hardest part about that is they don't always consult with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so right. So, they don't always consult the consultant. Yeah. Yes. So you're the yes. consultant,
0: but they don't call your phone. Right. They don't, right? Yeah. And so sometimes you get to see things that didn't need to happen because mm-hmm. they didn't consult. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the position of playing quarterback is is, I mean, these guys are in the limelight. They get all the credit when they deserve it, even when they don't deserve it. Yeah. And then when things go bad, they get the discredit, um, even when they perhaps play a great game. And then you've got offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, head coaches, especially you know high school, college level. They get very emotional. And you know, if a kid throws an interception and he comes off to the sidelines, puts on the headset, and the guy up in the press box just screaming at him because he's mad because the play didn't work or – he didn't coach him up on, Hey, don't throw it in that situation or whatever it may have been. How do you, how do you coach your players, especially your quarterbacks to be able to handle psychotic, crazy coaches and to listen for the wisdom and not pay
1: attention to how it's delivered? Because I'm like that to them in our workouts sometimes. So we'll take Blake Barnett, for example, who's a, a national recruit and in the in the headlines a lot right now. Sometimes Blake and I will have a workout, and I hardly say anything to him, I correct a little minor thing here or there. There's other times where if I feel like or I perceive that he didn't bring his A game that day, or he's, you know, maybe he's sore, you know, because during the season we'll work out on Sundays. And let's say he he took some shots on Friday night and it's lingering, you know, Saturday didn't heal him all up. It's lingering Sunday and he's not in it. I'll just, just jump his ass. Almost sometimes to the point where it, to him, I'm sure feels uncalled for or unnecessary. I'm cussing him, intense, in his face, questioning how his dedication and commitment, all those things that maybe seem irrational and probably, you know, the other dudes are looking at me like, whoa, you know, coach is all up. Damn, he's getting after Blake today because I want him to, to feel that heat and get the practice of hearing the message. What was the message? Oh, well, the message was, it doesn't matter that I'm sore. I've got to be able to make these throws on the run, and we're here for one hour on a Sunday, and it's routes on air, and I got to complete these balls, and I'm not getting it done right now, right? So it's almost like that's practice, right? And sometimes it is genuine. I'm pissed off because I feel like my time's being wasted, or you know, the, the their parents' money's being wasted, right? They're paying me to train the kid, and he didn't bring his A game that day. Uh, But also the side benefit of that is I'm preparing you for what's about to happen because as you very well know, that's what happens. I think, you know, we're we're here May of 2023 and people will think back to that Notre Notre Dame game in the fall where Tommy Reese is on headset and the cameras catch him just going irate on, I can't remember which Notre Dame quarterback was, was playing that day and he threw a pick or an incompletion or something and EMF'd him and ripped his ass, and it was on you know for the whole world to see. It happens. It's a passionate, emotion-filled game, and sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not. But the kid, to your point, has to be able to filter the F-bombs and the anger to what was the message, right? You might not even agree with the message, but you have to have good filters, and that just doesn't naturally come. It's something you've got to practice. So, yeah, my guys sometimes will take ass because I'm legitimately pissed off or sometimes I'll take ass because I just think it, they need it and we need to practice that part of it. And how do you react? Do you maintain good eye contact? Are you still yes, sir, no, sir? Can you, you know, let that go right off your shoulders, take the message, and get back to work, right? Or do you react like getting back at me and pissed off and defensive right for the most part my guys have always done a pretty good job of dealing with it and just knowing how to process that information but it's definitely something you have to practice you got to learn it i mean i've chewed brock's ass before when he was a young boy you've chewed brock's ass before i've seen it you know um (laughs) no doubt (laughs) teddy has right so, but that all prepared him for the craziness he's had to deal with with all these different coordinators he's had to learn from. Right.
0: Well, here's the thing I think that coaches do. Um, the good coaches get emotional when they know the player knows better. Yes, for sure. Right. And for when sure. you're a parent, you like let's just take blitz, you know what he knows, at least within a reasonable yeah. uh certainty. You know you've talked to him about things. So if he goes and plays for Mullen, and he let's say he throws in a triple coverage and he throws a pick, and there's two other guys wide open,
1: yeah,
0: and you get a little emotional inside because you know he knows, yeah. he knows better than that. And so I think once players and coaches develop a stronger relationship, once a guy gets on campus and they get to know him and they know how much he cares and how hard he's worked, yep. the coach. Can't help himself because he cares too much. he yeah. loves the player too much, and he knows the player knows better
1: yep there's right? there's definitely that emotional um threshold that line that gets crossed when the personal emotions come into it like i you know not to be late over the middle and throw it off your back foot in the triple coverage you why on earth. Would you do that, right? Also, as coaches, and, you know, you've coached, you've been coached, you played D1 ball. Everybody's always striving for for perfection and performance. It's basically unattainable, but, like, that's the goal. Get as close to that as possible. And then when you see that imperfection and you know it's not a physical thing, it was here. Oh, that's tough. (laughs) That's tough. No.
0: Well, Coach, let's shift for a second. Um, there's not too many families. I think there's like a roping family in the rodeo world that's got, you know, like Ty, Cash, and all these different names. You've got, you know, Blaze, Blitz, and Buzz as your th- three sons' names. Yep. Kind of give every, give the audience the
1: genesis of those names. Woo! So, um, you know, they're they're all the kids go by their B name. So we have Briley, Berkeley, and Blakely. Those are our adult daughters. And then um, the boys, Blaze, Blitz, and Buzz. um, Blaze is Julian Blaze McCarty. And he had fiery red hair when he was born. Now he's like dirty blonde. It's funny how it's changed. But um, my wife is just like, yeah, he's Blaze. That's his name. And Blitz, his name, and he is very good about taking this, especially when people find out that his name is Surprise Blitz McCarty. And there's some double meaning in there. He he was our surprise baby. Um, and he's the whole Blitz thing. You've known him since he was little bitty. Just fits his personality as well. So he goes by Blitz, but his name. And then in football, there is totally a surprise Blitz that we see like almost in every game where the quarterback didn't see it coming and was surprised by the Blitz. And we sure didn't see him coming either. So there's, there's some layers to that one. And then Buzz is his first name. He's Buzz Falcon McCarty. And he is, he's flying to, you know, he's on his own wavelength sometimes and he's, just got this amazing, amazing mind and creative personality, and uh, loves football. He's obsessed. You know, right now he's still on his East Carolina, Tulane thing. He's very much into pirates and loves that. East Carolina's called the Pirates, so he has East Carolina gearhead to toe. And he lives in Denver, Colorado. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: Wow. So I've known Blaze and Blitz, like you said, since they were really, really young, and. Hey.
1: Craig, I, and I don't know if uh, we'll need to edit this, but we just had a conversation in the car the other day, I had one of those, um, I don't know, a little, kind of emotional dad moments, I'm just looking in the rear view and just seeing how big these dudes are, right, because they are both now, Blaze is my height, Blitz is now taller than me, it's bizarre, but I was asking him like, hey, y'all remember when we used to do those workouts at Lorenz Park and D1 and putting in those Sunday grind. We'd do 10-hour days, and those dudes would roll with me. Oh, yeah, those are so fun. Coach Craig would come and take us to 7-Eleven. He'd spend like 50 bucks on Gatorades and candy for us. And they're like, oh, remember when he took us to get snow cones? <laughs> like, never mind that we did work with, like, NFL players and stuff. It was that Coach Craig took them to get snacks and oh, their no, own yeah. I was a sugar daddy. I figured. Totally the you know, sugar
0: daddy. Yeah. You were abusing your boys by keeping them at the gym for 10 hours. So I thought it was child, I'd child take labor. labor. Yeah. Child labor. But even back then, I just, I knew those guys were going to be good ballers just because they they've learned so much just intuitively by being in those workouts. And all the conversations that you've had, like with your quarterbacks, they were intended for those quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. But your kids got them too. For sure. Yeah. Right. And because the the players that you were training were listening and giving you respect, you know, it, it, it was absorbed by your boys. Yeah. And so their football IQ, their life IQ has got to be off the charts uh, compared to most kids.
1: It is, you know, and, and, and right now we're kinda um in an interesting phase in terms of like, you know, Blaze is going into a senior year. Blitz is going into sophomore year. Blitz is getting a lot of national attention as a quarterback. Blaze's path is definitely going to be different, um, but their personalities are so different. You know, Blaze is one of the things that makes him a great receiver is he is just so chill. I, I to this, I mean, he's 18 years old. I can count maybe on one hand the number of times in his whole life. My wife and I have even heard him raise his voice. He is just ice in his veins on game day. And he that's kind of what he's his claim to fame is, is he is catch radius, his ability to go up and just catch everything, but in clutch situations. Yeah, you know, I sent you a clip from our last tournament in Detroit, like he just does things that um some kids just aren't wired to do. And that's just it's kind of part of his a reflection of his personality. Right. And then Blitz is, um, you know, certainly more vocal and more of a, I don't know, just a different dynamic in terms of his personality. And he is more of a take charge guy and vocal and plays with a different kind of passion. And that's and a toughness that, you know, makes people gravitate towards him because they know, like, he's. He's wanting to be an assassin out on the field as a quarterback. And Blaze is that guy that you count on in the clutch. So they have different personalities, and their personalities are reflected in terms of how they play. But to your point, yeah, they've through osmosis and just being around it, they've grown up learning and hearing and visualizing a lot of tough lessons that I've imparted on players that were older than them. And then, I don't know, just like Brock and JoJo, they've been exposed to so much that the lights never seem too bright for them. They have that advantage of from time like just I mean your boys have been to Super Bowls, your boys have been in NFL lockers after tough game locker rooms after tough games. They've heard daddy on the phone negotiating multi million dollar contracts on behalf of a dude that used to play catch with them in the backyard when he came to visit, and they've heard their mom right. on the phone arranging marketing deals that then they turn around and see on television right. They've just been exposed to so much that the bright lights have never been too bright for, for JoJo and Brock, right? And my boys are kind of following and trying to follow in those footsteps in terms now,
0: of... No, your boys are doing the same thing, and that is true. Yeah. I was having a conversation with Brock the other day about uh, playing at Clemson, mm-hmm. and he said, Dad, that was the my favorite game because it, he was in his element. Yep. that uh, You know, he, he doesn't like going playing in games, not that it matters to the players, but when it's this... The stadium's half capacity. There's no pressure, right? You know, it's like the, I really feel like the the patterning, the the just the path that you've taken your kids on, and I've taken my kids on. It's given them that advantage in terms of, you know, what nothing's too big. Yep. You know. Yep. Well, coach, we're at fifty minutes. I want to thank you for being on Pro Mindset tonight, dude. By. I know. Just a combo, man. It was just a convo. Yep. Yep. And you know what? Here's the thing. Um, if there's somebody in Colorado or anywhere across the country that's listening to this podcast and they have an interest in reaching out to you and uh, potentially, you know, utilizing your services and uh, helping their son um, get an opportunity to play college football, how can they find you? Uh, what's your website? Those types of things.
1: Real easy to find because uh, my contact info is on there. You can go to warriorqb.com. Uh, you can go to warrior7on7.com. Those are you know, two websites. They're easy to find me. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at warriorqbcoach. DMs are open, email and contact info, cell phones on there. Uh, I'm not I sound like Deion Sanders. I ain't hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I always welcome phone calls, questions. You know, glad, glad to talk ball and to try to help people. You know, that's, uh, one of the things that I've always admired about you, Craig, is your willingness to, through with an open heart, give good advice. And some, I mean, you I have had conversations that had literally nothing to do with football before, just about parenting and being a better husband and things of that nature. I've always admired that you've been a person who's just willing to help other people trying to be good people, help them be good people. And I'm trying to model that as well in my professional life as well. So so thank you for
0: being such a great I appreciate thing. it. Yeah. I appreciate you being on the show. Coach, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. Give your kids a hug. Definitely will. Thank you, brother, so much. I want to thank you for tuning in to Pro Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed the listen, please leave a five-star rating. If the message was a vibration you connected with and you have any friends, family, or colleagues who would benefit, then please share this episode with them. You can follow Pro Mindset Podcast on the following social media platforms: Instagram and YouTube, Pro Mindset Podcast, Twitter and Facebook, Pro Mindset Pod. LinkedIn, ProMindset. We will drop our shows, Pro Mindset Podcasts, every Wednesday morning, and we invite you to listen and subscribe. Also, don't hesitate to check out our archives to listen to previous shows. And finally, I encourage you to embrace a pro mindset truth from today's show. It just might be the key to unlock the pro inside you.